Amen. Brothers and sisters, please do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Welcome, Welcome to the New Life of Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed this, us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small, it's gone up and down, but and overall things have been tight financially, and the church has been small. Excellent, now, by the grace of God, sincere, we are and without we believe it wise and light of this to think Christ, about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building which only seats 72. Christ, we cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, of God. every Lord said we would have no more Amen. than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help Let other churches. Now for God's One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself oh, Father, for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building you thank you can help for us your get word. there. How we do so thank we are praying that God the, would the, provide the preaching for us the funds needed to build a new building, that, that we would grow to fill it, for the and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, we do ministry here in the Bay Area even, even a very even dark place, is well prepared, there is a great even need for the light delivered. of the gospel to shine, Lord, that's particularly in this place, it will fall to the ground through the preaching of the word. If and so if you want to support us by the power and to, to support our efforts to see this new building so, Lord, built, please consider giving a financial gift to the end. You can you give by so sending us a check with building funding in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zell by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name. The glory of your name as it has been revealed in the scriptures. Consider our desire to see that. And so bless now the preaching of your word. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, one of the great things about the letters of Paul is that they often have, near the beginning, but not always at the beginning, uh, examples of the prayers that the Apostle Paul has made on behalf of the churches that he served or planted. And uh, we have this, for instance, in Colossians. We have something similar in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 includes a prayer that he gives for them. And uh, Philippians is uh, no different. Now, the, the prayer in Philippians is uh, fairly short. It's only, again, verses 9 through 11. And yet, we are to recognize that this is a very great benefit because um, as we think about what the Apostle Paul prays for the church, it tells us a few things that are important for us to consider. For one, it tells us things like uh, what was important for the Apostle Paul to see in the churches that he was serving. It tells us the, the sorts of things that he desired for them, and then by implication, the sorts of things that we are to desire for one another as well. As you think about uh, those whom you love, the Apostle Paul here is speaking to those whom he loves, the, the, the church that he had uh, founded. When you think about those whom you love, it is very normal for us to recognize that we want the best for them. Those whom we love, we want the best for them. You think of the, your family. Uh, this is one of the things that would, uh, of course, be true of families. You think of parents for their children. It's a very normal, it's a very normal sort of, of disposition that, that parents have for their children. They want what's best for their children. And the same is true for Paul and the Philippians. And so as we consider this particular prayer, what we're to recognize is this prayer is a reflection of what Paul thinks 
is best for the Philippians and which he sought on their behalf in prayer out of love for them. That, that is what we have in the prayers of the Apostle Paul uh, for the various churches that he, that he gives in these epistles. And the point, brothers and sisters, is simply to say this, that if we are to say that we love, uh, love our brothers and sisters, that we uh, care for them, and therefore that love will lead us to pray for them, then we must recognize that we, in our prayers, must be seeking the thing that is best for them. And Paul, in his prayers, gives us, uh, gives us an understanding as to what that is. So then if you were to ask, what, what, if you really cared for another person and you were praying for them diligently, what is the good that you should seek for them? What is the good that the Apostle Paul sought for the Philippians and what is the good that you should seek for others and that you should be seeking yourself? And the answer that is given in this text is a prayer for them to increase in love. It's a prayer for them to increase in love, especially in light of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the great good that the Apostle Paul sought for the Philippians. And that is the good that we are to seek for one another and the good that we are to seek for ourselves. Uh, now, we're going to look at this passage under two headings. We have first uh, the, the actual petition of the prayer itself, which is uh, the prayer for biblical love. That you're, This is the prayer at the beginning of verse 9. I, and this I pray that your love may abound. Your love may abound still more and more. That is the, the, the fundamental petition that the Apostle Paul is giving, the thing that he desires for the Philippian church. So we'll look at that first. And then we will look at the aim of the prayer. Uh, why uh, it is... He wants them to increase in love for what purpose, for what aim? The answer is, uh, is as preparation for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Lord Jesus Christ really is returning, then the thing that is going to be more important than anything else is to be prepared for that day. Therefore, that is the good that the Apostle Paul seeks and desires for the Philippians. Now, we'll look then again at, at the beginning of verse 9 and into, into verse 10. You'll notice again that the, the, the basic petition is given in the beginning of verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Um, you'll note, as we have looked at the beginning of the, the letter to the Philippians last week, you'll note that the Apostle Paul has a lot of confidence in the Philippians. He sees them as co-laborers in the gospel with them. He has recognized that even in his own chains, as he is he's in prison, as he's writing this letter, that, uh, that they have not been... Um, embarrassed by his chains. They've not, they've not stepped back from him out of, out of shame in his chains. They have maintained their love for him. They have maintained their love for God. And yet here the Apostle Paul is saying, I know that you have this love. Clearly, I've, he's been describing it for the last few verses. But now he says, I desire that this love abound still more and more. Whatever you have gained, whatever you have attained by way of love, I ask God, that he would make it abound more and more. Now, what are the objects of this love? I think very clearly it is uh, basic, the basic things that we see in the scriptures. That is to, be, that is to say it is uh, love for God and for his people. We, we saw this already uh, again in these early verses. The Philippians have shown their great love both for God and for the people of God. They've not been ashamed of Paul as part of the people of God. And now the Apostle Paul says, I desire that this love increase. Do not be, the, the idea here is that uh, they are not to be, he prays that they would not be content with their current level of love. He doesn't, he prays that they not be content with their current level of sanctification, 
but all the more, even as you see the day drawing near, strive more and more for this kind of love. Brothers and sisters, this is the thing that we are to strive for as well. It can be very easy for us to, to think, you know, we've made progress, we really do love the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to become complacent and to think, you know, I'm, I'm continuing on, I'm doing the things of the Christian life, but then to become complacent in our service to the Lord and in our zeal. But this is not what the Apostle Paul is, is advocating for. You think of what the Apostle Paul says, particularly in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, which we'll, we'll get, which we'll get to in the coming months. This one thing he does, he says, forgetting what lies behind and striving for what is in front of me. I, I'm, I'm striving for to, to, to take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ who has himself taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, in our lives, we are to recognize that we will never make as much progress as we need to make. There is always, there is always more progress to make in the Christian life and we will be striving. We ought to be striving for greater love of the Lord Jesus Christ and greater love for his people all the way until the day that we die. And therefore, no matter what sort of progress we've made, this prayer that the Apostle Paul makes is always applicable. We are always to pray it for ourselves and we are always to pray it for others. We are to pray that God would cause our love to abound more and more. Now, you'll notice that in this prayer for love, that there is a connection drawn between love and knowledge. That they, are to, they, that, they, that they are to abound more and more in love. Their love is to abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That is to say, there is a relationship between these two things. You think of uh, what, what James himself says in James chapter 2 when he thinks about faith and works. The, the, the point of the, the, the teaching in James 2, beginning at verse 18 and, and following, is that faith and works are just not opposed to each other. Uh, you show me your faith without works, I will show you my faith by my works. Now, the reason I point this out is because sometimes there is this idea that faith, that, that knowledge and love are opposed to each other. That you can either have knowledge, and if you have knowledge, you have something like a, a cold, dead orthodoxy, that sort of thing where you can uh, cross all the theological T's and, and dot all the theological I's. You're very precise with your thinking, but then people will say, well, people who think that way are also cold. Their hearts are, are not warmed to the gospel. And then at the, other, at, at the other end, people could say that there is this sort of less theological uh, kind of zeal and piety that is warm towards God, and that that's actually the thing that we need because um, above all else, love is going to be more important than knowledge, and therefore uh, we are to have love um, rather than knowledge if we are to choose between the two. And yet, um, even as we are to say justification and sanctification are distinguished and yet they go together. They can, they, in fact, we would even say further, they cannot be separated. They must go together. And so too, faith and works are distinguished. They must be distinguished, but yet they also must go together. So too, it's important to note that knowledge and love must go together. They must go together. They can be distinguished and they are to be distinguished and yet they must go together. You, you think of, um, of what the Apostle Paul says of his brothers, uh, the Jews who have denied the Lord Jesus Christ. There is this, this um, he says that they, I, I can testify before God, he says in Romans chapter 10, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not according to knowledge. They believed that they were loving God, and yet they did not have knowledge. It was, a, it was an example of, of the error 
of thinking you can have love without knowledge. Now, oftentimes, um, the Pharisees can be used as an example of the opposite. People, people will say, well, you know, the Pharisees, like, you know, they knew the Bible so well, and yet they didn't have love. And uh, there's, there's something of a truth to that, though it is interesting that in the New Testament, actually, the Pharisees are often reprimanded, not because they know the Bible really well, but then fail to love God. They're often reprimanded for not knowing the Bible. If, if you would have known Moses, then you would have known me. Is, is this not your error, that you do not know the power of God nor the scriptures? The, 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 the point is, is that their errors actually were a, 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 a failure to know the Bible as they ought. And it was the doctrinal errors in their knowledge that also prevented them from loving. And therefore, their love was, as the Apostle Paul says, or their zeal is without knowledge. And you can think of another example of this uh, in terms of um, another example that, that the Apostle Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 8, where he's speaking about the issue of eating food sacrificed to idols. And he says, you know, um, the, the, the Corinthian church was, uh, was, some in the Corinthian church were saying that they understood this question very well and that they could, you know, have this level of involvement in the eating food sacrificed to idols and still be okay. And yet the Apostle Paul, even before he gets to the doctrinal question, will say, uh, you know, if you have this knowledge, but with your knowledge you, uh, you destroy your brother, then your knowledge is not built on love and it's worthless. Your knowledge is worthless. The point is that knowledge and love in the Bible always go together. Uh, one of the things that is said in the Psalms, one of my, uh, uh, well, I, I really shouldn't say a favorite verse, uh, but it is uh, a great verse in Psalm 9, in Psalm 9, verse 10. Um, Those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know God, the, the, the natural thing that happens after the knowledge of God is then to cast yourself upon him in trust. This is to say a, a real knowledge goes with love. We see this even in the Old Testament where um, you know, a conjugal union is described as knowledge. Uh, you, 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 know, you know someone. Uh, knowledge even in various other places in the Old Testament is, is, is equated with love. Love and knowledge are to go together. Uh, as an example of this, um, you, you would say uh, the way which this goes together if you had a, you know, if you're married, uh, if a married couple truly loves one another, then it follows that they will also know a lot about each other. Uh, and, and usually when um, marriages begin to not go well, there are statements that can be made like, like this, where people, where one or the other will say, you know, it's like he or she doesn't even know me. And the idea there is that there's, a, there's been a breach of love, but the love is, is also manifested in a lack of knowledge. Knowledge and love are to go together. The point is that all true knowledge of God, all true knowledge of God leads to love for God. And that is what the Apostle Paul is praying for the Philippians. All true knowledge of God is to lead uh, to the love for God. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we are to, uh, to never stop pursuing the knowledge of God. We, and yet we are also to recognize that if the pursuit of knowledge is not leading us to love God, then we do not yet know as we ought. Or as the Apostle Paul says, we have not been known as we ought to be known. Uh, knowledge and love are to go together and we are to pursue the knowledge of God and we're to recognize that when doctrines are believed correctly, then they will produce a greater love for God. Now, you'll notice that it is not just knowledge, but the Apostle Paul prays for their love to abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. 
Now, this, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used for discernment, and yet, um, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is a very common word, particularly in the book of Proverbs. This is, the, this is a word that is used to describe the sort of practical knowledge that the book of Proverbs recommends to us. You remember uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the foundation of all wisdom uh, is, in fact, the fear of the Lord. The idea is that what the Apostle Paul is saying is that uh, I'm... I'm praying that your love abound more and more in all knowledge would be, you think of doctrines, that sort of thing, and in all discernment. That is to say, that sort of practical knowledge that is rooted in the fear of the Lord. The idea is, is that those who have this abounding in knowledge, they know the right doctrines and they're able to discern what is right and wrong in their practical lives in the fear of the Lord. And it is those who have this twofold, um, you could say twofold level of knowledge that are able to, to grow in a love that is pleasing to God. They are the, they're the people who understand both faith and practice and who are able to implement it in their lives. And the result, the immediate benefit of this is given in uh, verse 10, uh, right at the very beginning, that you may approve the things that are excellent. So the idea is that if you grow in this court of love, and it's in knowledge and in all discernment, the result will be you will be able to approve the things that are excellent. The point is that you will be able to know the things that please God. You think of uh, what, what uh, Paul says in Romans 12, when he, he speaks about, in view of God's mercies, having your mind renewed in, in, in the knowledge of, of, of God, not being conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. And then also that we might uh, be able to test and approve what is the will of God, what is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The idea is that uh, this sort of love for God does produce an ability to understand uh, what are the things that are pleasing to God. And we, we are, again, to recognize that this is a, a natural outcome of love and a love based on knowledge. If we just use the illustration of, of uh, a married couple uh, again, um, you know, I would ask, how, if, if you were to say, you know, I, I have this love for my spouse, but I don't really know her, I don't really know him, I don't have this uh, understanding of what I can do practically that pleases him or her, then the question would have to be asked, you know, how can you say that you love your spouse if you do not know those things that please her? And the point here that the Apostle Paul is making is that if you grow in love, in knowledge and discernment, you will be able to test the things that are excellent, and therefore, you will be able to do those things which specifically please God. This is basically what the Apostle Paul is praying for the Philippians. He's praying for their growth in all of these ways, that in every way their lives may be acceptable to God, that they may bear fruit that is pleasing to Him, that they might grow in their love for Him, that it might be manifested in their daily lives and in all the things that they do, and that even as a husband tries to please his, his wife, and as a wife tries to please her husband, so too that we as the people of God would understand, know, and actually do things that are pleasing to our Father who is in heaven. This is what the Apostle Paul prays. This is, going back to the relationship between this and seeking the good of another, this is the chief good. This is the chief good that the Apostle Paul seeks for the Philippians. He has a very short prayer here. He could have said more things. He says more things to the Ephesians. He says more things to the Colossians. But when he wants to give just a very short prayer that, that reveals the main thing that he is seeking for the Philippians, this is what he says. Now, the reason this is so significant in terms of uh, what he is praying for in particular is because of the way in which the prayer ends. This, you, if you're to ask, you know, why is it actually the case 
that this particular good is the thing that we ought to seek for another. You know, there are all kinds of things that you could say would be good for another person. Why is it that the Apostle Paul is able to say, this is it, this is, this is the thing I'm seeking? Well, he tells us in the second part of verse 10 and into verse 11, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Till the day of Christ. That is to say, if you were to orient your life around the great truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is returning, if you were to recognize that that is actually a reality, that there is, that it is a real historical day when that is going to happen, then you would see very clearly that this is in fact the good that you ought to seek. And this is in fact the good that Paul is seeking. The, the idea is, is that Christ really is coming back. And on that day, if you could think about the sorts of things that are going to matter, it's not going to be wealth, prestige, honor, the acquisition of any worldly thing. It's not going to be any of those things. Even other good things that you've done by the, the standards of the world, it's not going to be any of those things. It's going to be, did you live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you abound in love for God? That is going to be the thing that matters. Did you abound in service to the saints? And therefore, what the Apostle Paul here is saying is, is I pray that, that your love would abound more and more till the day of Christ. Now, about this, this, uh, this, like, this uh, prepositional phrase here, uh, till the day of Christ, it could be translated as uh, temporally as it is, so as uh, related to time, but it's actually probably better to translate this phrase as for the day of Christ. It would be the more natural way to, to translate it, and I think it is better in the context. That is to say, the emphasis is on preparation rather than timing. Not that your love would abound more and more until the day of Christ, and then that's the end, and obviously there's no, no need for it to be, uh, to abound more and more because you'll be perfected. That's not, I, I don't think the main purpose, that is true, and I think it is implied in the text, but the main idea, I believe, is, is this. I pray that you abound more and more in knowledge, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that in preparation for the day of Christ, that, it may, that your love may abound for the day of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is coming. The purpose, the point is that this will be the thing useful on the day of his coming. This will be the thing that will be a benefit to you at that time. Now, you'll notice that this is described in a couple of ways in terms of the, um, in terms of the, the, the Philippians and their, their status on that day. So if their love is, abounds more and more, the idea is that that will be for the day of Christ, but it is that they may be on that day sincere and without offense. That they may be sincere and without offense. Now, uh, this, 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 refers, um, this first term refers specifically to their faith. The idea is that uh, Paul is praying that their, their faith would be able to, to stand in the day of judgment. Remember that... Um, in Romans chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4, we are told that Christ will judge our hearts on the last day. A any sort of insincerity in our faith will be burned up in the judgment. It will not be able to stand. And therefore, Paul is saying, you know, there is this day that's coming. I am praying that your love would abound more and more, that it might be sincere for that day. Because on that day, it will be tested according to its sincerity. And it must be sincere in order for it to stand uh, at that point. And notice the second thing is that it must be blameless. Now, the word blameless is used often in the scriptures, and um, 
it, it very regularly does not mean completely sinless. That's not typically what it means. You think of Noah, who is described as blameless in his generation. Abraham is described as, as blameless. The idea is not so much that a person is without sin. That's not what, what the Apostle Paul is praying. But the idea is that there would be a faith and love that are true, such that no one can question the reality of the faith. In this sense, it is blameless. It, it, cannot, be, it cannot be reproached. There's no one who can say, look, by this person's actions, you clearly aren't a Christian. The idea would be is that this person's Christian life is pure in this regard that nobody could possibly question it. Blameless in that regard. Um, and it is, in this sense, distinguished from sincerity. Sincerity is related to motives. Blameless is related to actions. And the idea here is that whether you think about the inward motivations of the heart, or whether you think about the things that you actually do, your faith is completely sincere, not to say that it's perfect, but it is, it is fully sincere, and it is also blameless in the sense that the way in which you act is always consistent with a Christian profession. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this, this is the thing I am praying for you, that on that last day, for this day in particular, that your faith would be proved sincere and blameless. And then lastly, this will be uh, in verse 11, the result will be being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Uh, that is to say that when our faith is so sincere and blameless, we are filled with those fruits that are described as the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, where uh, those things which are pleasing to God, the Apostle Paul affirms that all these things are only through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of that fruit of righteousness that we will have and uh, and which will be to, uh, to our benefit on that last day. Brothers and sisters, as we think about uh, this particular prayer, one of the things that is important to note is if you were just to scan the New Testament, just very quickly go through it, just to skim it, one of the things that you would find is that the Apostle Paul, all the authors, they have this great fixation on the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of his return, that day which is a day of salvation for his people and a day of judgment for all those who do not believe in him. And the, the, the point that is being illustrated here in this prayer from the Apostle Paul is, is that even in his just basic prayers for the church, he is praying that their lives would make sense in light of that great day. Everything is to be ordered to that great day. And if you find yourself becoming complacent in the Christian faith and you think, you know, what, what can I do to get myself out of this rut? One of the things is this, to just consider there is a day of judgment coming when all of the thoughts and intentions of your heart will be judged. And then you will enter into eternity and every good thing that you have done that has been done really truly in faith out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ, that that thing will actually be pleasing to Christ on that last day. That, that, that anything that you do, that it, you know, if you think about what the Lord Jesus Christ says about storing up treasures in heaven, the point is that when you get there, the only thing that's going to make sense is whether or not you did that. You know, it's going to seem so foolish for you to, to have pursued all these things of this, of this world while you were here, when all the while there was this day that was coming that is said over and over in the scriptures that it's coming. And the Apostle Paul here is saying in this very short and brief prayer, here is my prayer for you, that you abound in all love, 
in all love, in all knowledge, and in all discernment, that you may abound more and more of these things, recognizing that there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will appear out of heaven. And on that day, if you have grown in love like this, it will be to your benefit. And, and I, as someone who has planted this church, the Apostle Paul speaking to the Philippians, is saying in this prayer, this is the desire. If you want to know, how can I desire the best for another person? It's this. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul desires for the Philippians. He desires that on that last day, they would have that fruit of righteousness, which will be to the praise and glory of God on that last day. And this is, of course, the way in which uh, the passage ends being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the ultimate goal of all things. It is the purpose of our lives. You think of what the Westminster Confession, uh, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, uh, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man, man's chief end, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We, we are to order our lives around that great day. We've had a number of illustrations from uh, marriages, and it'd be helpful, I think, to end with one as well. Uh, when a bride approaches the day of her wedding, uh, what, what will she do, particularly on, on the wedding day? She will adorn herself for her husband out of love for him. She, she knows that you know, to, to make herself beautiful for her husband will be pleasing to him, and therefore she, she will, will do that. She will think about you know, what dress she is, is to wear. There will be great anticipation and preparation as the bride waits for that day, and it is her love for her, her future husband that causes her to do these, uh, these sorts of things. She's always thinking about that day, and the thought of that day controls the things that she does beforehand. And, and you could say that it would be, it's a good thing for, to, for a, a bride so to do. And it shows that she really does care for her husband. Brothers and sisters, we are the bride of Christ. And there, there is a day coming when Christ, as the bridegroom, will come to receive us to himself. And what is it that we can be doing? What is it that we ought to be doing in light of the, of the coming of that day? Well, we are to be adorning ourselves with the righteous deeds done in the Spirit and by faith that are well-pleasing to Him. You remember, this is exactly what uh, John says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, that the, the, the bride the, the, who is brought into the wedding feast of the Lamb, that she is adorned with the righteous deeds of the saints. That is, that is her great clothing. It is the great beauty that the Lord Jesus Christ desires in his bride. Brothers and sisters, may it be that God would grant all of us the grace, grant you the grace to be found sincere and blameless on that day when the bridegroom is revealed from heaven. May it be that the church would be found ready and waiting and hastening that day when we enter in and, and experience the full consummation of all the things that have been promised to us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do pray, Lord, just simply repeating what the Apostle Paul has prayed, how we do pray this for, for all of us as a church, as a congregation, that our love may abound more and more in all knowledge and in all discernment, that we may be able to test the things which are excellent, O oh Lord, that we might be found sincere and blameless for that great day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven, 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which redound in praise to your great name. Lord, how we do pray that you would work this in our hearts. Forgive us for our sluggishness. Forgive us for not striving, forgetting the things that are behind us and striving for the things that are before us. May it be that we would order our lives around the reality of the return of your Son and that this would be the thing that orders all of our days. Lord, for we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.